This episode sponsored by Clio, cloud-based practice management software. Makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at clio.com. That's C-L-I-O dot com. C-L-I-O dot com. Hello, welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm the host for today's show, which is being uh, recorded on location at the Clio Cloud Conference in San Diego, California, America's finest city. And of course, this is On the Road. And one of the greatest things about podcasting is sometimes interviews happen by accident. And so we had another special surprise today. So Deanna Van Buren, one of the keynote speakers here at the Clio Cloud Conference, happened by. And we're going to be talking about restorative justice. So uh, Deanna, thank you so much for uh, coming by here today. But before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where do you work? What do you do? Sure. I'm an architect and I'm the executive director of Designing Justice, Designing Spaces. Uh, We're an architecture and real estate development firm that's building the infrastructure to end mass incarceration. So simple. Yeah, no, it was, uh, so your keynote was excellent and a lot of great visuals. And, uh, you know, I, it took me about 25 minutes to connect with it a little bit. So It was I a 30-minute talk, Lawrence. I know, well, no, but it just, uh, so it all crystallized in the end. So I had a lot of notes here. And so I want to talk about the, uh, the psychology behind architecture. And sure. so the point here is to talk about how we use and visualize the incarceration uh, system in our country and connect that with some of the architectural messages that you're trying to send. So uh, the question I have laid out, so what are your objectives with design in that regard? Sure. So the hope has been for us to use design uh, to support alternative methods of justice or so restorative justice, you know, a justice that's based in sort of healing the parties rather than harming them. And that we build for punitive justice right now, and everyone knows what courthouses look like and detention centers and jails and prisons. And the question is, well, what do we build instead of those? What does a peacemaking center look like or a center for reparative justice? Or what does a healing center look like rather than a courthouse? Um, And it sounds a little woo-woo at first, but the fact is those things are happening in our country and we are building for them. And they look quite different. They look quite different. And the impact it's having is pretty powerful. So I think one of the things that will be controversial in an audience of all attorneys is talking sure. about the uh, peacemaking centers. And so you and I were just doing a little pregame, and you you said, like, ideally, in your words, that uh, we'd like to go beyond using the courts. We want to skip the courts. We want to skip the lawyers and get right to a healing process. So mm-hmm. you know, peacemaking center was new to me. So can you describe for our audience what that is? Sure, sure. So what happens in many cases is that the DA and the prosecutors, so there are lawyers kind of involved. Okay. They, so we're not, we're not totally unemployed. We're not totally unemployed, right. you're, but you're, you're looking at cases. And so there'll be certain cases that have been identified as being good for peacemaking. They might be quality of life crimes. It depends on the program. Sometimes they're severe crimes. And those parties, rather than go to court and rather than do all the litigation and the conversation, will actually go into a process where they'll talk to each other with a guide. That could be an elder in the community that could be, who are trained. It could be a peacemaking coordinator who runs the program and is trained. And they come up with a plan to address the conduct and they come up with a plan to meet the victim's needs. And what they find is people actually do those plans. And when they do those plans, there's no court case. There's no record. Uh, it's done. They're done. And so we make spaces for that. And there are, we've learned a lot about how to do it. It's not, doesn't look like a courtroom. Okay. It certainly doesn't look like a courthouse. Uh, it sometimes looks like a home, like your home. 
Uh, it's always right in the community, you know. It's of a smaller scale. Always has a kitchen, you know. Sometimes you have two entrances, so people don't have to come in the same door. You know, you have quiet rooms, you have peacemaking rooms, you have a beautiful lobby, you have a garden. I mean, imagine your justice spaces looking like that. Well, I have to say, uh, when I go back to law schools, I get a little sick to my stomach still to this day because I took the bar in one and obviously had a lot of finals in there. And so uh, as beautiful as those institutions are, I walk in, I do feel a little queasy. So I understand the psychology of a building that uh, potentially you know, takes away your, you know, it takes away money or it takes away your freedom and sort of the association with that. So how does the process work? Like what's the cast of people, the cast of characters that play a role in these peacemaking centers? Sure. So often you'll have, as I said, you know, government entity needs to be there sort of supporting, not always, but supporting the fact that, okay, we're not going to prosecute, we're going to move it into this. Then you have members of the community that are facilitating or a coordinator who's facilitating, but also like if this happens to you, right, you have to participate. This is very participatory. So anyone who's involved in the harm, they're also going to be there. Okay. Um, Our role has been to help people design the space. We work with them to visualize what they would need, and then we listen to them, and then we do what they say. <laughs> you know, we make the environment meet their needs, because I think it, it's cultural, and they're not always the same. So now I have not seen one of these in the country. Are they here <laughs> in the United States? Like They are, we've done two of them. Uh, they're not that many. Uh, we've done one in upstate New York. We know of another one in New York City, uh, designed by another wonderful architect, Audrey Matlock. Uh, we've just completed one in Alameda uh, County, Oakland, California. Uh, we're working on another one in Detroit. Um, and the goal is that we will, it'll be commonplace. Like my goal is like, you will know exactly where your restorative justice center is. There's one in every neighborhood. Uh, and it's just as commonplace as going to the gym or it's just as common as, you know, a high school. You know, it's just another piece of our lives and, and space in our lives that we go to to address harm. So what, what, what types of harm are, I mean, are, what type of, I guess, crimes are addressed there? So it violence or? It can. Okay. It depends. So in Syracuse, we're looking at quality of life crimes like, oh, you stole my purse. Oh, you like took my car. Like theft. Theft is okay. one of them. In some places, it is severe. Okay. Right. So, so murder. Murder. Yeah, we can can be used for Capital One murder. Often, it's used for less premeditative. And that's in like this that. in this country. So murders being addressed. It is. It is. There's a program in New York called Common Justice where they're looking at severe violence. So this can be assault, as well sexual violence, you know, uh, it's being used in every kind of case and finding that actually it's better in cases of, it's more effective in cases of severe violence or it has better outcomes, which is interesting. Well, so let's get into that because I think this is where I got a little confused during your presentation. So someone goes through one of these uh, peacemaking centers and they go bypass the courts and bypass kind of our traditional uh, law and crime and justice, our legal system. And so what happens? So if there's, let's say there's a violent offender and they go through this process. What happens to them next? Well, it depends. What does the survivor want? Okay. You know, right? It's an agreement between the two parties. And this is where it's quite unusual because you want the person who did the harm to be able to do the things that is being asked for. Like if the survivor's like, I want a million dollars and this person is minimum wage, they're not gonna be able to do that, right? So it's actually a conversation about what has to happen. There's a great case in New York City, actually it wasn't, it was more, it was in Florida, but it was in the New York Times that was a conflict mediated by Sujatha Baliga, who just won, you know, a Soros prize, right? Oh no, she won the MacArthur Genius Award. Okay. She won the Mark. She was a restorative justice practitioner. Won the Mark Either Genius Award, and she did a case between a young man who killed his girlfriend and her family, 
and what they wanted out of it. They didn't want him to go to life or anything, but he did spend 10 years in prison, and his for the rest of his life, they were like, you're going to have to um, train and talk to people about violence and men, male violence and domestic violence. And so, so if, if he doesn't do that, does like standard uh, yeah, punishment Yeah, question. Apply? That's exactly right. If you don't complete the plan, if you don't do it, then you go back into the regular process. And they find that there's a very high completion rate for these plans. And just know that, you know, most of these programs don't have a center, right? So as designers, we have been going out to programs being like, hey, we want to build this for you, but not everybody has it. And so often they're like in the churches or in a school or in the basement. And um, that's how they, or in a program office, like an office building. Uh, our goal is to customize the spaces to do that so they can be more successful. Okay, well, just last question on this, just so I understand completely the concept. So the family has to, like in this example where you have uh, a murderer and you lose a family member, the family has to agree to this process. Absolutely, the okay. survivor of the violence always has to agree. Gotcha. If they don't want to do it, it doesn't happen. And the person who did the harm has to admit they did it, right? This is not like, oh, are you guilty or innocent? No, I did it. I want to make amends. You know, the survivor is like, yes, I want to talk to this person who harmed me deeply, you know, and you prepare them for the dialogue. It's not quick. So if they just said, you know what, we went through this, I changed your mind, I want you to go to prison, then, then what happens? Well, then the talks break down, right? Okay. So, you know, we, we have a UN, and I mean, these are sort of peacemaking talks, right? Okay. At an gotcha. interpersonal level, you can imagine. Like, sometimes we're successful in the talks, and sometimes we're not. But, but they tend to be mostly successful, which is amazing. Yeah, that's great. No, I, I just, um, I just, you know, obviously that's my favorite thing about podcasts. I learn something new all the time. I so I never, I never heard of this. I never heard of this uh, method for for dealing with uh, crimes, and and uh, so I want to get into the the psychology of it. So you create these spaces where it's conducive for the conversation. Yeah. And you were talking about uh, in one of the examples, really beautiful um, architecture. You had to bring it in the outside, mm -hmm. and you said, uh, you know, bringing it in the outdoors helps us relax. It helps us open our minds. It helps, you know, uh, make a, a, a conversation conducive. So let's talk about that. Let's talk yeah. about some of the structures that you've built and, yeah. and how that works, how you uh, interplay with the emotions that uh, open yeah. space uh, yeah. invokes. So, you know, there is a, there's something called evidence-based design research that has been done like on what the environment does to us physiologically okay. and emotionally. And we build on that research. It's primarily been done in hospitals and schools. So we build on that, and some of the things that we know or we try to know to do is that any views to nature, both externally and internally, and either real or fake, right? It can even be like a picture of, our, of nature, reduces our heart rate very quickly. And it also reduces violence, right? So people are less violent when they have views to natural environments. What we want to try and do is modulate our fight, flight, and freeze responses. So you can use colors that are calming. You can use sound, right? The sound of water. Um, you want people to have an environment that's dynamic, you know, like not messy, but things that they can look at. Uh, research also tells us that by looking around the room, I can actually uh, modulate my nervous system by touching things and looking at things. So the environments that we create for peacemaking are constantly trying to do that. Um, hospitality is always part of it. You always have a kitchen. Like, when was the last time we went to a courthouse and had a great meal, right? It doesn't happen that way. I don't think that's ever happened <laughs> to me. Know. So. I know. It's terrible, the food there. So, you know, th this food piece is a big deal, right? All of a sudden, it's about breaking bread together after the dialogue. You'll sometimes do that. So that's an important piece. 
you know, you need to shield. You don't want to be like just like looking in while you're having an intense conflict. So like you always have layers of walls that allow you to see, but shield it so it's translucent or you use curtains or like there's a whole sort of method of, of layers that is helpful to make people feel safe. So they can see and not see. That's really, really fascinating. And so now you've built some of these centers, and in particular, uh, some of these are actually designed so after incarceration, after prison time, to to bring people back into the community uh, to help prevent reoffense or recidivism. And so there's the Restore Oakland, the Love Building, and then I think you're still working on the Hope Reentry yes. Campus. So yeah. let's talk about the concepts there. See, there's like a community where people live and yeah. they do business and they. They, uh, they service the community that these structures existed. So let's talk a little bit about those. Yeah, so some of them are places you live and some of them are places you don't live, right? So the Hope Ranch of people are actually living there. But what they all have in common, which is amazing, is they always ha- they all have a food component, right? So people are always gotta getting fed. Got to have food. This is the thing about justice. Like you always got to have food. And that those things are like not just offering food, but they're training people to get jobs so they can earn a living, right? People coming back from prison and jail have really, really hard time with, with workforce, right? They don't have the training. They've been incarcerated forever. They can't even use a computer because they won't let them. Nobody will hire them. There's even licenses they can't even get. Um, so these centers, you know, all of our architecture projects, we try to work with program providers that are generating jobs. And so the Hope Reentry Campus, what we love about the mobile refuge room piece is it's a, we're using that as an economic generator to make and also a workforce training opportunity. So whether it's a program or whether we're actually going to build some stuff, that's always happening. So people get jobs. The restorative justice peacemaking components of it are helpful uh, in that they're helping people not go. And then when they come back, like you said, it's restorative justice can happen anytime, before, after, during, and having a place for that is important. And that, that compares, and you made this distinction, so the restorative justice versus punitive justice. Yeah. And so, let, I mean, let's further define that a little bit. Sure. So, I mean, obviously, we've talked a little bit about the restorative justice and, uh, you know, trying different ways to, uh, I guess, to to right the wrong or to rehabilitate an offender or, or make right the offense that was taken against yeah. the aggrieved parties. And so, but let's talk about the difference between that and punitive justice. So, you know, the punitive justice model, which has also been described as a boxing ring, that's a good image of, of that, is where, you know, the questions are different. You know, the questions are, are like, all right, who did this and what do they deserve? Right? It's never really a question for the survivor. So of the like crime and punishment. It's all crime and punishment. Like, oh, you did a bad thing. Now you must be punished. Which it doesn't make a lot of sense at the end of the day. And it feels very childish, right? It's like a little kid. You know, people are coming into the boxing ring and they're punching each other in the face. And the one who gets knocked out loses. You know, I win. You know, and it's adversarial, right? You have one lawyer pitted against another. You have one party pitted against another. Rather than a conversation about what actually happened and what actually needs to happen to repair what happened. Rather than who must be punished. So in your experience, is this, uh, have you been able to get some results here? So uh, decrease, repeat offense, and evidence of healed communities? You know, when you look at the program providers, they're the ones collecting that data. Like, as people who build the infrastructure for that, it's harder for us to evaluate that in separation from our program providers, right? So they're doing the work, we're making the space. But what we're finding with some of the projects that we have is that they're able to do more cases because of the environment, right? More people are coming to do the thing because once they get in the space, they're like, oh, this is nice. This is different. With the school on wheels, we were like, oh, I'm going to come to school now. You know, like it's 
the environment is kind of luring them in. And we find like when people come to our spaces, they just stay there. They're happier, you know. And if, if our program providers can do more, right, they can get more people to do restorative justice. They can get more people to stay and engage. That's good. Yeah. So, Deanne, I just have one last question. We're running low on time here, but, uh, you know, if our listeners, they want to reach out, they want to learn more about your work, see some of these uh, structures yeah, yeah, sure, and the communities sure. that you've been working to create through the art of architecture, how can they find you? So you can find us at www.designingjustice.org. You know, we have all, we have resources on there for you. You can see our projects. We have articles. We have a toolkit if you want to do it yourself. A DIY, we like a DIY situation. And so you can find us there at any time. Can they see pictures of those mobile... Uh, yeah, we got that all on the website. What are those called? The mobile refuge? Mobile refuge rooms. Yeah, okay. we'll get the video up for you. There's a nice video that I showed today that I think it explains it pretty well. Oh, yeah. you got to tell... Before we close it, you got to tell them a little bit about what that is. Oh, so the mobile refuge rooms are these spaces that pop out to provide privacy and dignity to formerly incarcerated men and women, or it could be unhoused folks who are all usually crammed into a room. Like you cram like 10 people in there or more. There's no privacy. You're living there for a year. I'm like, can you imagine? You barely, barely like sharing a room with your sibling, never mind 10 people you don't even know. And so these are boxes that roll out, three boxes, and they unfold to create a, a room. The bed folds down, there's a desk, you know, you have a, a dresser, you have a wardrobe, you can lock your stuff up, and they're all made out of wood. They're beautiful pre-finished plywood. It's kind of like a super finished uh, partition for a big room. Exactly, exactly. So it goes from being little boxes to being a fully kitted out bedroom. Excellent. Well, Deanna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.